Talofalava, Wawne o Koroe Hawkins, Osimaya Lau fa Fofonga ile Pacific Waves, RNZ Pacifica. Coming up... It's more a relationship basically at a, a higher level. China signs new cooperation agreements with Tonga. How are we aware of that huge force in the form of China? We speak with an expert on Pacific geopolitics about the ramifications of Wang Yi's ongoing Pacific tour and a historic moment for Tonga rugby as superstars sign on for Ikalitahi. What we hope that this will do is that we have a successful high-profile Ikalitahi team that kids around the world will want to play for Tonga. China's Foreign Minister Wang Yi and his delegation were in Tonga today where they met with King Tupou VI and Prime Minister Seosi Sovaleni. The Chinese embassy in Nukalofa has confirmed as part of the visit the signing of cooperation agreements on disaster prevention and mitigation and improving people's livelihoods in the kingdom. Joining me is RNZ Pacific's Tonga correspondent Kalafi Muala. Malolele Kalafi, was there much fanfare around today's visit? The visit by the foreign minister um, Wang Yi uh, from China is definitely top of the uh, of the news today in, in terms of news coverage, and it basically uh, raised a lot of interest locally. Uh, simply because I think this is the uh, for for some time this is the highest ranking Chinese official uh, that we've had uh, here in, in Tonga. Now, um, there were meetings throughout the day. Maybe walk us through what the foreign minister has been doing. Well, uh, before the arrival of the foreign minister, uh, there was announcement already from the uh, uh, Chinese embassy that uh, there were going to be two meetings scheduled. Uh, um, he was going to be visiting the king, his majesty, King Tubola VI, and uh, and then he will be also meeting with the prime minister. Uh, there was not going to be any uh, other meetings announced, and definitely there was no mention of uh, possibility of any media attendance in any of, of, of those uh, two meetings. And then also it was announced that... Uh, there was going to be a what they call a cooperation signing, uh, and the cooperation had to do with uh, what they call disaster protection and uh, trade uh, issues uh, agreements. It, it's it's not an agreement in the level that, uh, for example, like in the Solomon Islands uh, agreement, but it was more a uh, in, uh, um, memorandum of understanding, you know, the kind of things that they were going to be discussing, the kind of things that they were going to be looking at. And so that was the the, the nature of the signing of the documents uh, today. Your perception of this, is, is this a, a continuation of the existing relationship or, or do you perceive it as a renewed or heightened engagement from Beijing? Well, definitely uh, it was, uh, it, it's more... A, um, a relationship basically at a, a higher level, uh, simply because it was announced by the uh, uh, the Chinese uh, ambassador today that uh, they're engaging with Tonga at a higher level of engagement and cooperation uh, for development. And, and and one of the things, of course, that uh, that people need to, to 
uh, they see in, in terms of the Tonga China relationship. It's been a relationship that have started all the way back from 1998, and uh, it had to do with uh, after Hong Kong uh, was turned back from the British to the Chinese, and then also Tonga uh, changed their diplomatic relationship with, from Taiwan to China. So it's been a it's been a, a long diplomatic relationship. The other thing too that's important to notice is that there's been a lot of local developments in Tonga by the Chinese. That includes the restoration of uh, Nukalofa since the riots of 2006. And we still have a loan. Tonga still has a, a loan f- uh, from China uh, that we still uh, need to make payments on. It's about $118 million. I guess with that with that loan, like it's it's one of the, the the things that the Western traditional sort of allies of the Pacific uh, 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 keep going on about is that ability of Pacific countries to service the kind of assistance that China offers uh, locally in Tonga. Is there much a debate for and against more involvement with China and all the West? Well, you know the the concern in the debate locally in Tonga has been. So much uh, uh, to do with the local Chinese population in Tonga and, and their concern for the fact that they seem to be taking over, particularly the retail business. They are definitely the dominant force in Tonga. Uh, as far as uh, relationship with China on the government level, uh, there is not much discussion in it. Although the issue of the Chinese loan have come up recently and it's Basically, not to do so much whether it's Chinese fault uh, that the loan is there. It's with the Tongan businesses that have been restored and built by that loan. And why is it that they have not paid back anything to China? So this has been an issue here recently. The next stops for Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi as he continues his Pacific tour is Vanuatu, then to Papua New Guinea and finally to East Timor. For a bit more analysis on the Chinese Foreign Minister's Pacific Tour, I'm joined by Tarsisius Tarakabutalaka, Associate Professor and Director of the Centre for Pacific Island Studies at the University of Hawaii at Manoa. Thank you, Tomas, for sitting with me for our more Pacific Waves one talk. What are your first impressions of this region-wide tour by Wang Yi? I think it's an important uh, trip both for China and for Pacific Island countries. Uh, And this is what is often referred to as uh, uh, visit diplomacy. Uh, And China has, we've seen China use that a lot, both in terms of Chinese leaders coming to the Pacific Islands, as well as Pacific leaders going to Beijing and being given that big welcome that we do not see with other countries, in particular places like the U.S., I mean, the biggest visit that we've had from the U.S. in a long time was recently when the Secretary of State went to Fiji. But otherwise, we haven't had such visit from prominent U.S. uh, officials. Whereas in, in the case of China, we've seen a number of visits since 2006. And those visits include the President Xi Jinping coming to Fiji and then later on to Papua New Guinea 
for the ACP countries. And so visa diplomacy is an important part of China's diplomatic relationship with other countries, not only the Pacific Islands, but we've seen it in Africa and other parts of the world as well. Now, going to what has been said so far, we, we've had bits and pieces here and there. I think a lot of the 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 media furore and a lot of the, the reporting has sort of been a bit sensationalist around the, the signing of these bilateral cooperation development agreements and trying to sort of tie that in with the 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 kind of security angle that was the case with Solomon Islands. Uh, what, what's your view on, on what has been said so far, what has been signed so far that we know? I, I think the biggest concern, particularly for Australia, New Zealand and the US, is the security aspect of China's discussion with Pacific Island countries and particularly Solomon Islands. And I think that's taken over a lot of the discussions prior to the foreign minister's visit to the Pacific Islands. Uh, and that kind of dictated the discourses or the things that people are talking about. However, if we pull that back and look at the other things that they're talking about, it's not surprising. Things like climate change, for instance, infrastructure development, economic development, uh, issues of uh, you know, sovereignty and so forth that we've seen Beijing talked about in the past. Uh, and so that's not surprising, given the kinds of discussions that have been taking place for a while. What is interesting, though, is, you know, China traditionally tends to engage bilaterally more than multilaterally. Uh, and now we are beginning to see China engage at the multilateral level. Uh, we, we saw it happen in 2006 with the China Pacific Island Devel Economic Development Cooperation Forum. And they've held three of those meetings since 2006. And then we saw it with the foreign China Pacific Islands foreign ministers meeting during COVID to talk about responses to COVID. Uh, and more recently, we've seen the discussion uh, when the minister was in Suva. And so that's interesting, the move from, or not move from, but in addition to the bilateral relationships, China is engaging multilaterally with Pacific Island countries. And that is bound to have a lot of impact and also raise a lot of concern for Australia, New Zealand, and the US. And particularly Australia and New Zealand as being members of the Pacific Island Forum and the US as a post-forum dialogue partner along with China. But having said that, I'm not surprised that China's or Beijing's decided to do that. It's an efficient way of having relationship with countries that already have a strong multilateral relationship at the regional level. The other other thing I, I sort of just from, from reading um, the reports that are out there and, and some of the conversations that, that have been had, the framing is almost like it's this new thing that China is coming in and China reinvigorate or do in the region but but it's it's visiting its bilateral partners some of some of whom have been there for ages way beyond solomon islands and, and the like is that the sense you're having as well is this sort of a renewed like resurgence of china or do you think it is um sort of just coming through and re retightening those existing uh, um i guess relationships and policies and things that they they have been doing and are continuing to do in the region 
I think there are two things happening at the same time. The first is, uh, you know, a lot of that discourse is influenced by this idea of a zero-sum game, that Pacific Island countries should be aligned with the West or with China. Uh, and especially Western media see it as if, uh, whether they have relationship with China or they have relationship with the West. I think Pacific Island countries see it more nuanced relationship that they need both China as well as their Western traditional allies. And therefore they need to engage with both or all those countries. Uh, and so China is an important development partner. Australia, New Zealand, the US and so forth are also important development partners. Uh, and so looking at ways to engage with all of them to meet their development needs. Uh, and so that's from the Pacific Island point of view. Of course, a lot of the discussions coming out, particularly from Australia, I think, not so much from New Zealand, but particularly from Australia and the US, is that if you have a relationship with China, particularly one that includes security discussions, then that's a no-no. Uh, and so that's the first thing that we are seeing. The second thing is that I think we should understand that for a, a country like China, economically powerful, globally influential, and now entering into the Pacific Island countries in ways that they did not have, say, prior to the 2000s. That is bound to change the way in which we have relationships. It's changed global geopolitics, uh, and therefore it has to change regional geopolitics and relationships between not only Pacific Island countries, but between them and China, as well as their traditional partners. The issue for me is that how do we manage that? How are we aware of that huge force in the form of China? And how do we manage it in ways that will benefit us? And here I mean Pacific Island countries. There are high sporting expectations in Tonga following the announcement that Israel Folau, Malakai Fekitoa and Charles Piutau will play for the kingdom next month. It is a historic moment, marking the first time for rugby players to switch national teams after recent changes in eligibility rules. Tonga Rugby Union Chief Executive Peter Harding says the sudden injection of former All Black and Wallaby players means the Kalitahi could soon become a force to be reckoned with. He told RNZ Pacific reporter Afinao Fonua they've worked very hard to get the regulation changes over the line and it's fantastic to see them finally coming into effect. Uh, and many people have talked about this for many years, people playing for their country. So um, we're very happy that these, these boys are coming back to play for their country and um, as I said, a lot of people put a lot of work in making sure that this was done properly so we're very excited to be able to access them. There's been a lot of debate around this for for a long time. What did it take to to make the world rugby, you know, change these eligibility rules? Well, I think that, um, what's happened is I think Charles uh, Celeste Pietau has done a very good job in in making sure that this is in front of everybody's mind. So I think everybody, including you know the boys involved in Samoa, etc., should thank him for doing that. Uh, but in reality, if you've seen a lot of these. Um, a lot of players get picked for other countries and 
a lot of the time they, they get picked and they do their best for the other countries. Um, they do well, and um, once they finish with the other countries and they've made their money, etc., they, they would like to actually contribute to their original country or their current country of heritage. I think a lot of players have wanted to do that for a very, very long time, and there's a lot of them that want to do that. The importance of the island players to world rugby can be seen all around the world because everybody wants to support world rugby, uh, the island players, and everybody wants to see them play. Um, and so this has sort of brought a, another element of positivity to the fact that they want them to come back and help out the countries that they're involved in. Now, we're, we're not always, as you probably know, we're not always the best resourced countries in the world. Uh, we don't have the largest populations in the world, but we've got the most players. Once the sentiment started turning and people started talking about it more and more, we, there, was a, there was people in World Rugby that really backed the change. And once that, once that happened, all we had to do was put together a very good proposal for the change of the rules and then um, convince a lot of other people that that's what we needed to do. There's a lot of excitement among Tongans about this news because we saw with the Matematonga how when all those superstars decided to play for Matematonga and we're seeing a similar injection, suddenly we have all these big um, superstars turning up for Tonga. Do you think it's going to make a, a big impact? Yeah, I think what, what's happened over the past couple of years, everybody knows the difficulty of um, of playing and getting together and having uh, competitions and having the team get together and travel. Um, we've had a lot of people play and be capped over the last couple of years and they've done a fantastic job for us. Uh, and, you know, I think um, Tonga should be thankful that they came along and, and put their hands up. What we've got now is, as you said, we've got a sort of a sea change with a few older players who've played at a very, very high level coming back. And I think the mix of the new caps from the last couple of years, the young guys that we've seen, and um, add to them a few people who've played in, you know, at the highest level in Bledisloe Low Cup, etc. Uh, it's a very, very good mix. Um, Mate Mai Tonga has obviously made Tongans very proud all around the world. And uh, I think... I don't know whether that actually helped, but I'm pretty sure that, that somewhere along the line that the publicity that generated the success they had did actually put it in the back of a few people's mind that this could be the same sort of thing for, do the same sort of thing for rugby. And having the island nations going well is a very positive for rugby. And um, yeah, I think Mato Motonga did help us a little bit. The, the rules are obviously different in rugby league and rugby union. It's quite easy to transfer your allegiance in rugby league. So we had to do a lot more work to get the regulations fixed up so we could have the transfers um, for our teams from other countries. How much is this going to change the whole landscape of rugby? Um, you know, how the quality of Tonga, Samoa and Fiji rugby um, being able to get these big players? I think what, what we'll see now is um, the number of them is a one-shot deal for this particular World Cup. Um, there might be a few players coming back over the next few years, but they won't be all in one big lump. What we hope that this will do is that when kids grow up, if they're a Tongan kid around the world somewhere, if they're in the diaspora, that we have a successful high-profile Kalitahi team, then kids around the world will want to play for Tonga. They won't want to play for other countries. So I think this is what, like you call it, maybe our Jason Tamalala moment. You know, when Jason came across the Mate Tonga, everybody else put their hand up. I think this moment now might be the moment for us that makes a big difference in how kids see Tonga and um, that they can actually see a decent 
uh, future playing for the Tongan national team and that we can play at a really good level. So this is going to be awesome over the next couple of years. I think it's going to be a, a great ride and everybody's going to enjoy it. And I'm absolutely certain the players coming across will enjoy it. They love the environment. But we would also like to see this transfer into young players around the world wanting to play for Tonga in the future and um, choosing Tonga over the other nations that they've traditionally chosen. Tala lena monee aso mai le Pacific Waves o korwe hukins lene. Faafitai so ifua maya manuia. Remember, you can download us free to your device from Spotify, iHeart or Apple Podcasts. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can also find us.